0: Hi, this is Hunter Willis.
1: And I'm Erica Potter.
0: And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. So I know that you wanted to do this topic today because, you know, we've been a little doom and gloom lately and, you know, the hot girls recognize. So instead, we wanted to have a little bit more of a celebratory theme going on with this episode, especially because, Erica, what what just happened for the pod?
1: We just hit... Over 300K listens.
0: Yes. So thank you so much for everybody that tunes in and listens every week. Honestly, like, you know, to me and Erica, we're still just like, yeah, sure. We'll like make the podcast like our five friends are going to listen. And like, that's it. We always just kind of like, no, it's just, a, it's like small. It's nothing too crazy. But then all of a sudden you get hit with numbers like that. And it's like, oh my God, like 300,000 listens, 300,000 plays. That's insane.
1: It's crazy. And I'm a little insecure about how that many people are perceiving my voice. I know. Um, I'm like, <laughs> but... you
0: know, yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started on that one.
1: <laughs> this must be how like famous influencers and whatnot feel when their videos get like millions of views. And they're no, like,
0: Oh, because we're not like that. We just don't think like we're very like so small and stuff. So I, I don't even know. But it's it's literally crazy. So thank you guys so much for all like tuning in every single week. Like, you know we recognize that and it honestly means so much to us
1: yes yeah, so thank you everybody for listening and as a little reward as a little treat for we're going over 300k so doom and gloom. <laughs> yes we have a positive a positive news story which is much needed for our listeners and for hunter and i like we yeah we are over here just we're seeing the news articles too guys we're we're watching what's happening we Yeah. So we needed this. We wanted
0: to put that bit of positivity out there. And also Erica's just like super stoked about this topic in general, just because like it goes back to Erica's like before she turned poli sci in undergrad. So Erica, do you want to tell them what it is?
1: Yes. My pre-nursing three years are flexing in this episode for sure. Um, (laughs) this episode is about the ozone layer and the United Nations update and Honestly, before we before we really get going in this, I just want to preface this episode with this is international cooperation, like peak. This is S tier international cooperation that we're about to this be talking like about.
0: Why me and Erica like went in like IR and stuff is because like we wanted this to happen. Like we want these kinds of outcomes. And we know on the pod, you guys don't always get to hear the most positive outcomes because There's not always a ton of positive news out there, especially in international relations, but this is one of those success stories. So we are going to hit this episode off with a bang.
1: Yes. So first things first, ozone layer recovery is on track, helping avoid global warming by 0.5 degrees Celsius. And this is a press release from the United Nations Environmental Program, also known as UNEP, which I was a chair on Mm -hmm. in one of our Model UN conferences, so a little also close to home. Um. And this press release was from January 9th, 2023. So a UN-backed panel of experts presented at the American Meteorological Society's 103rd Annual Meeting with, on Ju- January 9th and concluded that the ozone layer is on track to recover within four decades with the global phase-out of ozone-depleting chemicals, also known as ODS, which, with already benefiting efforts to mitigate climate change
0: mm-hmm
1: so, so pretty exciting pretty exciting yes I know that was like a lot of big words but basically yeah. if you guys remember the ozone layer like having a hole in it I sure do because I swear anytime anyone sprayed like an aerosol can of hairspray you were oh, like oh I, like, so you hate out. the ozone layer
0: yeah absolutely I remember like being in elementary school and like something would happen like I just remember there was this one video that they made us watch And it just like horrified me. Like, I feel like we can all relate to that one thing as like a child of where we had like no business being nearly as concerned about it as we were, but it was like the entire world was ending. And don't get me wrong. The ozone layer being depleted, horrible, absolutely horrible. However, I thought that like the earth was just going to just like explode, like from the inside out, basically, if more like UV radiation got in. And it was we were all just gonna get like microwaved or something, which clearly did not happen. (laughs) However, no, literally, as like a little like third grader, it was terrifying. So this hits home for us girlies.
1: Yeah, like we weren't even like doing anything. We were children. First of all, there's no way Mm -hmm. that us as children have the consumption that could possibly have caused the ozone like Mm -hmm. layer to have a hole in it. And they're like telling us all this, like. Ozone layer propaganda. They're like, if you use deodorant, if you use hairspray, if you use like any aerosol product, you hate the earth. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah.
0: I remember like I'd see someone like with like a hairspray canister and I'm just like, oh, okay. So they're going to be the reason that we're all microwaved. And it was just like this horrifying
1: thought. And I'm (laughs) like, (laughs) literally,
0: like I am, I'm literally so terrified.
1: Well, no need to worry about that, Hunter. Because UN backed scientific assessment panel to the Montreal Protocol on Ozone Depleting Substances, Quadrennial Assessment Report, which means it's published every four years, confirmed mm-hmm. that after the phase out of near after a phase out of nearly 99% of banned ozone depleting substances, those ODS, which you'll hear more in the episode, mm-hmm. we can now see recovery of the ozone layer in that upper stratosphere, which is thereby decreasing. Human exposure to harmful ultraviolet UV rays from the sun.
0: Mm -hmm. So this does not mean that you can all just go and abandon wearing your SPF, still wear your SPF, apply it daily. I'm a big advocate of this, but Erica already knows. (laughs) Erica knows I'm a big fan of SPF. It must be worn at all times if you're going outside. So you can't just get rid of it quite yet. However, this is like great big news.
1: Yes, I'm a huge fan of SPF, but I'm also the person who like is like, okay, I'm gonna go to the beach. What time do I need to get to the beach to see like peak UV ray mm-hmm. level? <laughs> I go mm-hmm. check the weather app and I'm like, okay, the UV level is at nine at noon. So I need to be at the beach by eleven thirty so I can catch a tan. Mm-hmm. I'm it's so bad.
0: It's bad, but you know, here we are, the UV rays, they're not going to be as harmful going forward, but like still like obviously protect yourself, but it's getting less and less harmful as the ozone layer replenishes itself and comes back to where it used to be. So we are in no way advocating for you to just abandon your SPF. We just want to make sure y'all get that straight, but there are less harmful rays coming through as time goes on.
1: Yes. And this report stated that if the current policies remain, the ozone layer is going to recover to 1980 values, which was before the appearance of the ozone hole, mm-hmm. by around 2066 over the Antarctic, by 2045 over the Arctic, and by 2040 for the rest of the world. So that's like, that's literally like 17 years away. That's like next mm-hmm. year, basically. We're going to have for most of us. I mean, I don't know about you guys. We're not traveling to the Antarctic. I don't think so. So,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Most people aren't just going to the Antarctic and just like chilling out. And usually if you do, you have like crazy, like protective gear on because, you know, that elements are harsh and horrible there and just not really meant to sustain human life. However.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, Hunter, what I learned through this press release from the United Nations, they should Mm -hmm. have never been blaming us for the ozone layer because, okay, so there's an ozone layer or ozone hole over the Antarctic and Arctic, who is spraying aerosol hairspray over there, right? Like, Mm. how did that happen?
0: Listen, but, 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 that's where it all comes in of no humans are to blame. Because Erica, do you want to hit everybody why? There is like those kind of like variations that are going on.
1: The report says that variations in the size of the Antarctic ozone hole were largely driven by meteorological conditions but the hole has been slowly improving in area and depth since 2000. So again, we were like of age when this mm-hmm. was already starting to heal. And they're yet yeah, like, like don't use but your hairspray. Don't use aerosol.
0: That's because of what we're about to talk about next. So Erica, do you want to hit us with our next source?
1: Yes. So the ozone layer is on track to recover in the coming decades, the United Nations says. And this is an article from NPR. And it said that the this article said the ozone layer was discovered to have been damaged in 1985 by chlorofluorocarbons, also mm-hmm. known as CFCs. You're going to hear a lot of yeah y'all are which I'm so excited of, about.
0: Yeah, Erica's like geeking out about it. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm totally going to mispronounce one of these.
1: Okay, I had to take organic chem like two times, and I did really well in the class the second time, but like it that was first a hard time was class. Rough. I'm like, I better retain this.
0: I feel that with macroeconomics. That was a rough class. So, girly, I feel you. But so basically, how did this all kind of like get fixed? So it was actually this fun little adventure called the Montreal Protocol. And so this is where a bunch of countries came together. And so the Montreal Protocol, it was adopted two years after the discovery of the hole in the ozone layer. And so essentially what is the Montreal protocol. It was one of the earliest like large scale environmental initiatives between a bunch of different countries. And so it made it so almost a hundred synthetic chemicals that caused the ozone layers destruction would no longer be produced and used commercially. So some of the big places that you found these CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons were common in old refrigerators or hairsprays. So like we were saying, all of a sudden you see this like hairspray can and you're like, oh my gosh, put it down, don't even pick it up, like absolutely not, like you like almost want to run over and like smack it out of somebody's hand because that was where a lot of these were coming from. And so this source claims that, quote, in the latest report on the progress of the Montreal protocol, the UN-backed panel confirmed that nearly 99% of banned ozone depleting substances have been phased out, end quote. How exciting is that? That's so exciting! Like nearly ninety nine percent of them have been phased out. Like just like d- they just don't get used at all anymore. Like that to me is so exciting.
1: Literally, and we still have hairspray. So like I don't know what they. Mm. Put well, they really in just like, switch it
0: up. They use my hairspray
1: like... is still holding. So I, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that they were able to find substitutions. And I'm assuming the rest happened for like refrigerators, yeah. or whatever else these like... CFCs were in.
0: Yeah. And that's like part of the thing is just like this proves that like if you have enough like support for it, you can find alternatives to these really harmful environmental components into things to make them more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. Because once again, we still have refrigerators. We still have hairspray. So it's like, you know, obviously you had to switch that around somehow and use other chemicals and other things to do that. So it's like as long as you have the funding to go and put forward to research what exactly you can use as alternatives that's really all that you need and then you can find these alternatives so it just shows that you can actually fix environmental issues through large scale initiatives like this which a lot of people are like oh yeah you know the un's not effective these big things for the
1: environment they're not effective like you're seeing it here you're seeing it is effective like this episode, this report, everything about this initiative is just proof. So you guys can yes. reference that anytime anyone tries to tell you that the United Nations isn't effective.
0: Yep. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's the most effective government structure. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying all of that now. I feel like I've made my feelings clear throughout our episodes, like on the UN and pieces of the UN. However, in this instance, this is where global cooperation really comes in and it actually does work. So It was, once again, just kind of going over those. I mean, the 1980 level, like, it's going to be around 2040. That's, like, almost 15 years away, a little over 15 years away. That's crazy that it's already going to be, like, back to that level within our lifetime. So if you are, like, the Gen Z hot girl listening, like, it'll be there within our generation. Like, within our generation it will be solved and i i'm like i mean not like perfectly solved like obviously there's still going to be more stuff going on however we're going to see if going back to those 1980 levels and that to me is just absolutely amazing
1: yes we just have to like stay committed and stay on track as we have been since this initiative was adopted and which Mm -hmm. it's been going on pretty long so i think so far so good it's looking good for all of us
0: absolutely so and then one last little piece in this a source, it talks about the Kigali amendment. However, we'll actually be talking about that a little bit more in a later source. So Erica, do you want to hit us with just kind of like
1: some more information, like on the Montreal protocol? Absolutely. I am so excited to mm-hmm. do that. So the Mon- this is about the Montreal protocol from the from UNEP, the United Nations Environmental Program. And the Montreal protocol on substances that deplete the ozone layer is a Landmark, and that's what UNEP calls it landmark multilateral environmental agreement. Landmark. Regu- liter- like, let's landmark. say it again.
0: <laughs> say it again.
1: Say it louder for the landmark. People in landmark. <laughs> so, it is a multilateral environmental agreement that regulates the production and consumption of nearly 100 man made chemicals referred to as ozone depleting substances, ODS. It's kind of a mouthful. So, we will be using ODS going forward. Um, But when these ODSs are released into the atmosphere, the chemicals damage that stratospheric ozone layer that we were talking about earlier, which Mm -hmm. is Earth's like shield. It is there. It's our guardian that protects us and the environment like we're not humans aren't the only ones on Earth. We have, you Mm -hmm. know, the oceans we have. We have trees, we have animals. So this shield is protecting all of us from harmful levels of ultraviolet radiation from the sun. So that's why the ozone's important. In case you like guys didn't like catch that, that's why this is important. So. Uh, yeah,
0: there's lots of important components about this, but without it, you actually would be microwaved basically because yes. the UV would just absolutely destroy your skin. And I know that there's a lot more like medical talk on like what would happen if humans were exposed to like such dangerous levels of UV radiation. But Hunter,
1: we're keeping this light. We're we'll just we're kind of keep it light, there,
0: keep it light, and light it's going to be a fun and fresh episode <laughs> instead of the doom and gloom.
1: Yes. So the Montreal Protocol was adopted on September 16th, 1987, and to date, this is from the Uni- United Nations like Environmental Program. They they said this and I fact-checked, okay? Mm-hmm. To date is one of the rare treaties to achieve universal ratification. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's repeat it. Universal, universal ratification. ratification. Like are you kidding me?
0: That's crazy. Like, that's insane to me because that never happens. I don't know how many times we've come on this podcast and been like, yeah, it was ratified by everyone except like three people, except like five little countries, except like five big countries. You know, it's just there's always somebody that's got a problem with something. But this one, like, Erica, that's crazy.
1: I know. I like, I read that and I was like, I needed to rub my eyes and read it again because I was like, there's no way. There's no way. And that that is. It is. That's why it's a landmark. And again, it's to date. Like another treaty. This was in 1987. Another treaty has yet to prove itself as amazing as this one. Because where is the universal ratification?
0: Like where is it? The hot girls stand the Montreal Protocol. Yes. That is a stance we are absolutely bodying with this podcast. As an institution, we stand the Montreal Protocol. <laughs> yes.
1: Well... Let's get into why it is so popular among all the countries. Like, why did everyone vote yes? Mm Because it had to be pretty good. It
0: had to be. There had to be something there that they all liked.
1: So the Montreal Protocol phases down the consumption and production of the different ODS in a stepwise manner with different timetables for developed and developing countries. And the developing countries are also known as Article 5 countries. So it's they're kind of like... I don't know how you would say the hunter. They're like making it so that everyone is feasible for everybody. Like Yeah, because equity. that's a problem
0: with a lot of the big treaties, you know, especially with a lot of the environmental things. All of these really developed countries who have the resources to go and put for these new initiatives they can do it just fine but the developing countries they don't have the resources to do that the technology is not cheap enough for them to do that it's like if every single country was like we are absolutely no longer using coal we are no longer allowing for oil to be used in our country it's like okay well you know even then it's really still not fully feasible for a country to do that however it's going to be a whole lot easier for those countries that have a lot of wealth behind them and already have a lot of those systems At least in the beginning phases of really being implemented, like on a wide national scale versus developing countries that like, you know, they may not even have a single nuclear reactor in their country. So how are they supposed to transition away from fossil fuels when they don't have this clean energy? They don't have a single wind farm or a solar farm. And so it just doesn't make it feasible. And so that's why this treaty in particular, it works really well because you have those kind of like steps built in for, Hey, the developed countries, we're going to take the brunt of it. We have enough money to front it. We also know that it's probably more our problem since we are a more industrialized society. So we're using a lot more of these things than developing countries are. So that's where it kind of comes into play. Of where you have the developed countries taking responsibility, taking accountability for it, and really leading the charge. And then the developing countries, they're not being expected to just behave like the developed countries, like, you know, like a lot of these other treaties and coalitions try and have happen.
1: Yeah. So one part about this article, or well, not even article description from UNEP that I thought was really important and should be highlighted is mm-hmm. that they said, just like you were saying, Hunter, that developing countries have equal but differentiated responsibilities, but mm-hmm. both the developed and developing countries have binding time targeted and measurable commitments. So like they have absolutely. the same end goal, but the way that they get to that end end goal is more equitable based on what you currently have available, which makes it much more mm-hmm. attainable for all parties involved
0: absolutely. And like, yeah, I mean, it's just it like boggles my mind of how more treaties and agreements aren't kind of like taking this into account especially when you've seen that this really works so like I don't understand why more treaties and agreements and protocols they're not taking this into account it just doesn't make sense to me
1: yeah and I think it can maybe tie back into like a what's in it for me situation like especially Mm -hmm. like smaller countries like the environment affects everybody so it's easier to get everybody to agree to whereas like other Other situations might not be so relatable for all countries,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but still, yeah, like, like can everybody... we get this in like every treaty though?
0: Yeah. Just like everybody here like has like that vested stake, you know, there's not a single country in the world that's not going to be touched by climate change or not going to be touched by the ozone layer being completely depleted. Like it's going to be detrimental to every single nation on earth. So it makes sense of why you have more of a collective effort to fix it, which Makes sense in environmental issues. Like that's one of the big things that, you know, we've talked about on the pod before is environmental issues. They're actually pretty easy to rally behind because every single country has a stake in it.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree. So let's get more into why this treaty is so amazing and why Mm -hmm. everybody's collectively into it. The treaty includes provisions related to control measures, calculation of control levels, control of trade with non parties, special special situation of developing countries, reporting of data, non-compliance, technical assistance, and as well as other topics. So they really, they're really covering it all here. And mm-hmm. they even go in to define the substances controlled by the treaty. And it's listed in annexes A, B, C, E, and F. I don't know why they skipped D. But yeah. <laughs> I need to flex my organic chem knowledge because when else am I going to? Mm-hmm. Um, the substances listed in Annex A are chlorofluorocarbons, AKA CFC and halons. B is other fully halogenated chlorofluorocarbons, AKA the CFCs, carbon tetrachloride, methyl chloroform. Annex C is hydrochlorofluorocarbons, AKA HCFCs. And Annex E is methyl bromide and Annex F is hydrofluorocarbons, a.k.a. HFC. So that's a lot. That was a a lot. We're going to talk more about them and why they're important and why there is a distinction. I know you heard a lot of Fs and Cs, but there are, we promise there are differences between the HCFC, the CFC, and the HFC. Yes. Um, And we'll go into that more later. But another great thing about this treaty, which, again, more treaties need to be adopting this kind of this precedent really and it's that the treaty evolves over time in light of new scientific technical and economic developments and continues to be amended and adjusted which is so important especially if it's like a long standing treaty that re- requires like a lot of time to fix like obviously the ozone layer isn't going to be patched up in one year and they put they had the foresight to put in like hey when we get new scientific information when we get new economic developments when when we need to, we can adjust this as needed, because obviously we're not in the same place that we were when this treaty was adopted in 1987.
0: Exactly. Like the world evolves, science evolves. Why not make the treaties evolve with it? Like make it a living document. It doesn't make any sense to me of why everything is so set in stone in some agreements when you know for a fact that things are going to be changing. So that's just like Erica said, there's so many reasons to love this treaty, this whole institution as we know the montreal protocol and this is absolutely one of them a living document It makes it so much easier especially in a case like this
1: like imagine if we are still practicing the same medical like treatments that we were back in the 1980s like if we just kept the medical knowledge the same like oh well that's just how we always have done it so we'll just continue yeah, and it's to do like it.
0: okay well you know people used to just go and be like drowned if they thought that they were witches. And we clearly know that that's not a science <laughs> these days and we don't do that. So it's like, I mean, listen, it's it was a good, just it I was like a it. common practice that was yes. in place. So it's like, you know, why wouldn't you want stuff to evolve? Like you want things to evolve. If you see that something is clearly not working as best as it could under new understandings and fundamental like conceptualizations of things, why would you not change it? We can change things here. And that's exactly what this document allows for people to do.
1: Yeah, I think just as like a little aside, I think sometimes there is like the the need to not change it, I guess, not in, a, mm-hmm. not in all treaties, of course, but like it, there can yeah. kind of be like a little bit of bait and switch sometimes with like other countries just like, oh, well, I said that then, but like we said this was a living document. So like now I mean this. So I get where mm-hmm. sometimes it needs to be set in stone. But again, like especially if it involves like technology or development of any kind, I I think it needs to be a living document.
0: Like it it makes sense. It makes sense. Like when you're dealing with
1: concepts of things, sure, you know, you're dealing with. So let's get into who's responsible for when a treaty needs to be amended or we need to update things. And that would be the meeting of the parties who is the governing body for the treaty. They do have technical support from the open-ended working group and they both meet on an annual basis. I assume it's kind of like a project manager kind of thing where they just like kind of like Okay, we're on set. We're we're good to go. We're we're doing good. Got it. Cool. Yeah, cause uh, the party you know,
0: you kind of yeah. gotta like shift, readjust. You know, figure out. Okay, well that's not working. Okay, well why is it not working? Let's figure it out. Let's do something yeah. else.
1: Exactly. And the parties are assisted by the Ozone Secretariat, because that exists, which is so cool. Based mm-hmm. at the United Nations, the UNEP headquarters in Nairobi, Kenya. Which I did not know UNEP was based in Kenya. I was not aware of that. Did you know that, Hunter? I did not know that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Sidebar. Yeah. That that's unrelated to.
0: Yeah, cuz there are a lot there's a lot in Europe, but yeah, there's definitely some like throughout the globe that it's like, you know, it like it makes sense here. Like Kenya, you know, kind of like the center of the world. Like if you look at it kind of like on a map, like it's more centered, so understandable.
1: Yeah, so one of the first amendments that they it's not so much an amendment, but one one of the first additions that they made to the Montreal Protocol was a multilateral fund for the implementation of the Montreal Protocol. And it was established in 1991 under Article 10 of the treaty, so just about four years after inception. And the fund's objective was to provide or is to provide financial and technical assistance to developing country parties to the Montreal Protocol, whose annual per capita consumption and production of ODS is less than 0.3 kilograms to comply with the control measures that are listed in the protocol. So they're kind of like a financial haven, I guess, for the developing countries so that they have some assistance because like Hunter Mm -hmm. and I talked about earlier, they, they need some help sometimes.
0: Yeah. Like it makes sense that there would be funding for these initiatives because clearly you need funding to go and do these things.
1: Yeah. And the activities of the fund are implemented by four international agencies. So UNEP, of course, The United Nations Development Program, UNDP, the United Nations Industrial Development Organization, UNIDO, and the World Bank, which we've talked about the World Bank many times. I didn't know they were involved in this, and that's another fun little tidbit, as well as the bilateral agencies of non-Article 5 countries. So if you recall, the Article 5 countries were the developing countries, non-Article 5 countries would be developed countries. And Mm -hmm. I love that. They're assisting. They're helping out. We love to see it.
0: Absolutely. Like this is a all hands on deck type of operation here.
1: Yes. And Hunter and I are just tickled pink. We just absolutely love this. Absolutely. So to date, the multilateral fund has supported over 8,600 projects, including industrial conversion, technical assistance, training, and capacity building worth over 3.9 million USD.
0: Mm -hmm. So we love that creations of jobs. You're having good money go into funding. For this training, this capacity building, like that's like that's where funding should be going, is to things like this. You know, I'm not here to write out the entire U.S. budget. I'm not here to write out the entire UN budget <laughs> nor the world budget. However, Hunter's you know, like, let me be in the room. However, let me be here to tell y'all that 3.9 million, in the grand scheme of things, is like pennies in the global economy. It so literally is. the fact it that really 3.9 is. million has gone to this and it's done such great work. You know, I think that there's a lot of return on those dollars.
1: Yeah. And actually, many of the developing countries have already exceeded their reduction targets for phasing out those ODS with the help of the fund. So they are just killing it. And that's what happens when you proactively set up developing countries and the rest of the countries for success. This is what happens you exceed your goals. Exactly.
0: And like, what's better than just meeting your goals? exceeding them clearly like i mean like that's a really like dumb question to ask but i mean like that's just where (laughs) we're at with this that there's so many things in this world that don't work the fact that this not only worked but it exceeded its goals is i can't get over i know that i keep on saying amazing but that's truly like the only word that can come to mind is it it is it's just amazing it's like awe-inspiring because this is exactly how the world should work is basically like this
1: Ideally, this is how we want the United Nations to be in, like, every every major international issue. This is Hunter and I's, like, yes, dream goal right now.
0: Yes. Like, if I, you know, went to bed, I took my little melatonin gummies, you know, because God knows you always have, like, the weird wild dreams whenever you take the melatonin gummies. I don't know what it is about them, but I always have <laughs> the craziest dreams. But in the, in those dreams, this is how every single thing at the UN would work. Every single thing would be like this.
1: Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. And there is one more amendment I want to talk about before we get into another amendment that Hunter is going to tell us about. But this is the last part from UNEP about the Montreal amendment. And it is the phase out of hydrochlorofluorocarbons, those HCFCs. Mm -hmm. So hydrochlorofluorocarbons, aside from having an extremely long name, are gases used worldwide in refrigeration, air conditioning and foam applications. So you might recognize some of these because a lot of us use it. I know for sure the AC is cranked up during Michigan Mm -hmm. summers for me.
0: Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) I love my AC. I love my AC.
1: So HCFCs are no bueno for the ozone layer. So they're being phased out since they deplete that ozone layer. And HCFCs are not only just ozone depleting substances. They're also powerful greenhouse gases. With the most commonly used HCFC being nearly two thousand times more potent than carbon dioxide in terms of global warming potential, otherwise mm-hmm. known as GWP. so they're not yeah, good.
0: <laughs> that's absolutely terrifying,
1: and the fact that they were in worldwide refrigeration and air conditioning and foam applications, like my my facial cleanser is a foam application,
0: yeah, it's like the stuff that like you would never even think of that like you would you would have no clue. Yes. It turns out they're there. They're everywhere.
1: And that was just a small little tidbit where as much as I would love to give you guys all an organic chem lesson, I'm not going to do that. But we do have the scientific assessment of ozone depletion from that United Nations scientific assessment panel. And we also have the entire Montreal protocol that will be included in our sources. So if you feel so inclined to go check out those reports, we definitely encourage it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, if y'all want to brush up on your Oakham like Erica did, yes. then feel free to go check them out and relive your wildest dreams. Um, it is absolutely not even in my melatonin dreams that I would dream of going and checking <laughs> all of this stuff out because I am not a STEM girly. However, if you are, you might have just the time of your life with it. So go wild, go crazy, have so much fun with it. But <laughs> while we're here, we're going to move on to the next source. And so this is also from the UN. And so this is basically talking about hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs. So this is not an HCFC, this is just an HFC. And so countries, they gathered to eliminate these in what is known as the Kigali agreement in 2016. So Kigali, the place that this whole meeting took place, that all these negotiations took place, that is what it is named after. And so this amendment to the Montreal Protocol it means the developed countries they will start their phase down process by 2019 to get rid of HFCs and then developing countries will have a freeze of HFCs in 2024 and then some are going to have exceptions so there will be some that will have this freeze in 2028 which once again kind of makes sense especially when you're factoring in the developed countries they'll do it first and then the developing countries they will do it later at a time because you know they need more time to be able to have all of this take place so hfc's they basically trap in quote thousands of times more heat in the earth's atmosphere than carbon dioxide end quote thousands of times more heat than carbon dioxide so we've all heard how bad carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere and then it's like heating up the earth it's causing global warming we're seeing that we're hearing that everywhere hfc's Thousands of times more heat. That's horrifying. When I learned that little fact, that was a straight back feeling to the third grade after I watched that first movie on chlorofluorocarbons and the ozone layer, and it was just instant panic. But no need to panic because since all of these countries came together, they are making this go away. So, like we said, (laughs) developed countries. The
1: way you just said that, like. (laughs) like leave, be
0: gone. Yes. They're making them go away. So they are leaving, but you know, they're still going to be there for a hot second because they don't just go away instantly, but there's not going to be a ton more pumped in because the phase down process was by 2019. And then there's the freeze in 2024 and 2028. So we're coming up on them pretty quick because somehow it's already 2023 and I feel old whenever I have to acknowledge that. So, you know, just coming up on the quarter life crisis over here, but no need to worry about that. This is a feel-good episode, so we will move <laughs> on to the part where more funding came from countries to provide the reduction in HFCs. So you can only imagine where this funding is coming from. It's probably going to be those developed countries that feel like they have a bit more of a responsibility to go and provide this funding. So as this they is- should, absolutely, absolutely, as they should. And so this funding, so it came in for research and development for alternative for affordable alternatives, they were at the top priority and this source was from 2016. So this has already been discussed. So that was their big thing was that they want to have research and development for these affordable alternatives. So that's another thing that I just love about this whole initiative is that it looks at these affordable alternatives, not just saying like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to do this, except it's going to be 10,000 times the cost of what the old method was. And, you know, you guys just kind of got to suck it up and deal with it. Like, no, like they're researching and developing these affordable alternatives, which makes so much sense. You'd think that this would just be intuitive. However, some people do not see it that way, which just boggles my mind. But here we are. Here we are. It's all a Light good episode. Flirty, Light, Light and flirty, Hunter. flirty. Light and flirty. And they did. They did place this priority on these development and research of affordable alternatives. So with that. Going into our last and final source, a little bit more technical there, but so it's basically just kind of telling everybody what CFCs are. So Erica, I know that you geek out about the OCHEM stuff. So do you want to tell us what these, like kind of just more of like the technical facts about CFCs and stuff, just so everybody can kind of like understand and put into context what we've been talking about this whole episode?
1: Absolutely. So chlorofluorocarbons, aka CFCs, are non-toxic and non-flammable flammable chemicals they contain carbon chlorine and fluorine as the name suggests and while when they are subject to uv radiation in the stratosphere they decompose and some of the released chlorine destroys the ozone which makes sense i mean bleach destroys all of my clothes so Mm -hmm. totally makes sense to me And, quote, chlorine released from CFCs destroys ozone in catalytic reactions where 100,000 molecules of ozone can be destroyed per chlorine atom. Unquote. Yeah. Some. Oh, go ahead.
0: I just like that. Once again, horrifying. 100,000 molecules of ozone from one single chlorine atom. I know that we're keeping it light, fun, flirty. But that's horrifying. And the reason that this still is light, fun, and flirty is because CFCs, they are being eliminated and the ozone's coming back. So clearly these atoms aren't just chilling out and chilling out forever up there. So it's a good thing. However, in the moment, in 1985, this would have been quite horrifying information to learn. However, in 2023, we can gladly say the ozone layer is going back. It's going to be back, baby.
1: Yes. And if you guys feel so inclined to maybe have a chlorofluorocarbon, just know that some of them can last up to 140 years in the atmosphere. So we would recommend staying away uh-huh. from those. You know, I mean, they are evacuate
0: banned. Evacuate yes. away from the CFCs. Run away stay from away. Them.
1: Do
0: and not you know release them. You
1: know what's so funny, Hunter, about that quote about the catalytic reactions? I remember mm. in Ochem, like calculating those, like we would have to do like formulas and whatnot because math is in chemistry, making it all the more mm-hmm. worse. Yeah, and we'd have to calculate it. So the fact that it's telling us a hundred thousand molecules of ozone can be de- destroyed by per one chlorine atom, absolutely no surprise to me because I recall doing those calculations. And I Listen, mean, I could tell you the horror stories of benzene. You don't, you don't even want to hear about for benzene. us
0: non-stem girlies. Like that's crazy that is a crazy ratio one to 100,000 that is wild like that's like I, I don't even know imagine like me being an ant and going and fighting like 100,000 grasshoppers or something like that's terrifying like if you imagine one ant being able to take out 100,000 grasshoppers or like 100,000
1: spiders that's horrifying can't ants like lift like 10 times their body weight or it's something it like a 100 like times I know it's crazy they're crazy strong just like like, these CFCs apparently
0: yeah but just like putting that into context that's like one spider taking out like a like a hundred thousand ants or something like that to me is just terrifying like that's an absolute unit and so what we have discovered is CFCs are units of destruction so we can be so happy that they're not here anymore that they've been phased out that the ozone is back baby and keeping it better than ever absolutely well, she's not yet, but she will be soon. So ozone coming to a sky and stratosphere near you.
1: I think it's important to know we the ozone has always been there. Yeah, it's just the hole. The yes. hole is getting smaller. Mm-hmm. I feel like we just I, I know for me, I think I forgot to say hole sometimes. But yeah, no, there was it was just a hole which nobody likes a hole in our protective shield mm-hmm. and she's getting stitched up and we love to see it on a light and flirty episode. And if you can tell the joy from Hunter and I's voice <laughs> this entire time. We absolutely love this. Uh, we wish that more good things happened more often, so we had mm-hmm. more joy to spread with all of you.
0: Yes. However, we don't always have the joy, but in this episode, we do. So we are so happy that you guys could join us for our giant three hundred thousand mark episode. And you know, here's the three hundred thousand more. I guess. Yes. Hopefully.
1: In 2023, we'll see what happens, especially once we get our Patreon.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, which we know we've said for a hot minute now. However, she is still in the works. We can confirm she is in the works. It is just taking a hot second to figure that one out.
1: Y'all can blame Red Tape for that one. Like yes. Hunter and I, red Hunter traveled tape. here to Michigan to be with me, and we still weren't able to make it happen. That is on the Red that's Tape.
0: On, that's on... Yeah. The universe and red tape. So here we are. (laughs) But thank you guys all so much for tuning in, Erica. I had so much fun recording this episode. This has been like, you know, the most fun, like lighthearted episode we've had in a hot minute. And I, I think we needed it. I think the hot girl community needed it. So I'm happy that we were able to provide. So thank you so much for the idea.
1: Yes. And thank you Hunter for recording it with me. Here's to 300k more and hopefully another good news story in the future
0: hmm So y'all have a great rest of your week and we will see y'all on Monday with a brand new episode. Bye. Bye.